Hello, everyone, and welcome back once again to HOA It's a True Story. You know, I'm always amazed at the ongoing laws and the changes that continue in our HOA industry. So today we are sitting down with Sandra Gottlieb of Swiddleson Gottlieb, who's a practicing attorney to HOAs in both Northern and Southern California. She's going to give us the lowdown today on SB 908. So thank you for joining us today, Sandra, and welcome to HOA. It's a true story. Thank you. I'm honored. Thanks for inviting me to share this time with you. Perfect. So why don't you give us just a background about yourself, how you got into HOAs, a little bit about your law firm. So I didn't start out this way. No one goes to law school to be an HOA attorney. I was an entertainment attorney. I actually started out in labor law and then employment law working for ABC. Then I worked for 20th Century Fox for seven years. I was in business affairs for what then was a brand new market, telecommunications. And I did licensing and merchandising for 20th Century Fox television shows and movies and other uh, studios movies as well. Fun. It was fun, but you know, your, your word is your bond in, in all industries. And in that industry, if you <laughs> give your word and then you have to change it because your corporation wants to do something different, it's difficult. And I said, yeah, I don't think I want to do this for the long term. Good old Hollywood, right? What actually got you into HOAs then? So uh, David Swettelson was a partner with a guy named Bob Memel who passed away and he had started, David had started the HOA practice and he said, if you're really leaving entertainment, do you want to do this with me? And I thought, well, I'll do that on the interim. <laughs> 33 years later, I'm still doing it and love it. It just fits and suits my personality. I always say that nobody plans to go into HOA. We all kind of accidentally fall into it unless they're now the next generation are getting born into it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to talk about Senate Bill 908. Is it still a bill or has this been signed into law? It's been signed into law. It is an actual piece of legislation. So tell Uh, me what it's about then. Well, I actually call it the bane of my existence. So (laughs) this is a law with an effective date of January 1st, 2022, and it had some clawback provisions. And the clawback was applicable to November 15th of 2021. And the clawback was, even though the licensing law had not gone into effect yet, that you had to implement a part of the licensing law, which is debt validation within five days of sending out what are you are late letters or pre-lean letters. And the interesting thing, and the reason I said this is sort of an ill-conceived law, is it requires all debt collectors to obtain a license. And the government put this system into place and didn't really have a vehicle with which to evaluate the licenses, the applications, and to issue the licenses. And rec- okay, wait, I want to stop you really quick, because are you saying that even any management company that was sending out their debt collection to the HOA homeowners would have to have gotten licensed? So, yes, this is a really bad news for everyone. What we were grappling with was whether associations themselves, the IT, had to be licensed when that was what's called a first party debt. But management companies are actually doing a second party debt and they also have to be licensed. So then there's the question of the it, meaning the corporation and then the individuals. Does the person who send out the late notice or the manager who sends out a violation notice that also has a fine component or a demand for a reimbursement assessment for damage to common area? So the problem is you had to get in your license application 
before January 1st, 2022. So that's obviously the last day of 2021. And because they were ill-conceived, they didn't have the people power or the technology to handle all the applications. And so they issued a statement that says everybody who applied in time will be deemed to be licensed, even though you don't have licenses. So meanwhile, it's the middle of February, no one has a license number yet. You're supposed to have your license number on every communication that leaves your office, whether you're a debt collector or a managing agent for an association. So our, our listeners, you know, can't see my face, obviously, but I haven't picked my jaw up yet off of the desk. This is really out of left field. It is out of left field, but, you know, this is not that, that surprising to me. This is one of those ill-conceived laws that literally came into being because there was a constituent of a legislator that said, oh, I have an association that's haranguing me on late fees and they're calling me day and night. And born out of that complaint was this legislation. And somehow it got traction with other people, people who were involved in the drafting of this complaint in the legislature have consistently believed that associations don't necessarily have the right to assess, record liens for non-payments, forgetting that this is the only source of income for 99% of most associations, unless they have collateral sources like a golf course or a clubhouse where there's additional revenues. Exactly. So it really is pretty amazing that this even became a law, but it, but it didn't. And it affects us in California on a lot of levels. So on the federal side, we have the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. And under that act, attorneys are not deemed to be debt collectors because of the manner in which that act is written. But we have our lovely um, Rosenthal Fair Debt Collection Practices Act in California, and that's our version of the federal act. And by intention, it prohibits debt collectors from engaging in, and this part's not unfair, unfair or deceptive acts or practices in the collection of the consumer debts. But apparently that wasn't enough. They wanted this to be a licensing venue. And so what happens? Who benefits by that licensing? It's supposed to be the consumer. That was the purpose. But who's going to benefit here? If everybody has to be licensed, if everybody has to submit to an investigation, a criminal background investigation to do this, who gets that money? Ah, the state. That's right. <laughs> so what a nice little revenue source for the government in licensing this part of our industries. This act, it provides for licensing, regulation, and then oversight of debt collectors. And as I said, it's an ill-conceived plan because there is no plan of action. We're hearing now that it may be 2023 before we get our licensing numbers. We and most people similarly situated to our firm are acting as if they already have their license number and complying with the law because nobody wants to run afoul of this. It's a, it's a moving target, but we're all pretty afraid of this moving target. You know, we saw a lot of this over the last two years with COVID where they want to implement a program, but then they have no means to, you know, support the infrastructure of the program and track and monitor, yet they're threatening us with these big fines if we don't comply. And eventually down the road, somebody's going to go, oh, yeah, we we see that you did this, but you weren't in compliance. So we're still going to hit you with the fine. I just think these have become such a horrible problem. They're really on the verge of just badgering us as a, 
you know, part of our HOA world. But one of the questions that I'm thinking of is, was there a specific event that kind of triggered this or was this just somebody constantly fighting for the, you're not allowed to assess us at the HOA level? There was no specific trigger or event. So, you know, when you watch the news and you look at the legislative history, it's just this ongoing dissatisfaction with the fact that associations can assess owners for their share of the expenses that it takes to run the association. Somebody's got to pay for the trash pickup. It's just the way, you know, the way that it is. And the entity, the oversight is going to be a state commissioner of business oversight. I don't even know what that is. But that's the entity that's going to be in charge. If you contact them, they say, well, we are working on this, but it requires you to apply for the license, pay an application fee. They had no trouble taking that money before December 31st, sign the application under penalty of perjury, and then submit to a criminal background check. I'm a friendly competitor with another entity that does this. And it turns out that two of their employees would not agree to go through the the background check because it's a background check through the Department of Justice. And in both of those situations, they had child support and custody issues and they didn't want to go through that. And so they had to leave the company as a result of this. Never a complaint, no impropriety, but because there was a Department of Justice obligation for this background check, um, they said, we, we just can't do it. We can't expose our family to this. That is shocking. I'm really, this is like, has like this whole little dirty secret behind it. So if you go through this licensing that they don't even have the numbers and the ability to give you yet, <laughs> to what purpose on the backside is it going to be for being licensed? Just a trackable, I don't get what's going to happen to the people that didn't go get their license. So people will be able to file reports with this commissioner that, oh, and you also have to have a surty bond and pay a, the commissioner its pro rata share of costs and expenses reasonably incurred to actually enforce this entire process. And the idea is that they're sort of like the Better Business Bureau. Oh, those people are not being nice to me. Well, what did they do? They wrote these really bad letters to me. Well, bad how? They were demanding money from me. Oh, did you buy something from them? Well, I belong to a homeowners association. I literally have seen complaints broken down like that to the Better Business Bureau. And that's what this is going to be as well. In the answer to your question, the belief is that there'll be a higher level of accountability. And you know what? In any part of any industry, I'm sure that there are bad actors. We just didn't hear about it in our industry. So it just really did come out of left field. Do you think there's going to be any kind of... uh amendment through legislation to change this? Well, usually when you have this kind of legislation, the answer would be yes. But when will that happen? Is it going to happen after 2023 when we all have our numbers? Or are we going to be pointing out to them now how ridiculous it is that our poor managers can't write out late notices to homeowners consistent with the association's collection policy because they're then going to be deemed a debt collector and they didn't apply before December 31st? It's really... It's just a mess. Oh, my goodness. And of course, now we're in this really financially strapped period of time where we can't complete projects and, you know, material costs have gone up and labor costs have gone up. And so all of the vendors that support the HOAs have gone up and yet they can't do anything about getting 
HOA late fees handled. So what do you think the management companies are going to do? Just wipe their hands and give them over to collection companies that have filed for this? Um, so I'm not really, I'm really not sure what they're, what they're going to do. I've spoken probably to 75% of them, big and small throughout the state. So the bigs have, um, went through the process, you know, applied like we did for the licensing because, you know, the bigs have their, they do the pre-lean, the lean, and then they will outsource the trustee work to you know, assessment collection companies that take it through that part of the collection process. They have a way to offset those fees and costs. The smaller companies, so medium and smaller management companies, their exposure to liability is greater because the more volume you do on this, the less chances that you are going to actually make mistakes because you'll have systems in place, you'll know how to do this. People think, well, how hard is it to do collections? It's actually pretty difficult. And there's so many ways that that you can make errors that if they don't have the resources to really stay on top of this, their exposure to liability is going to be great. And I was speaking to an owner of a management company earlier this week who said, I'm not even going to send out the pre-lean letter anymore. We're going wow. to we're we're going to and so this particular company is going to all of their boards, 59 of them, and say so you need to redo your collection policy. We are not going to do that. We're not going to touch this. It's going to go to the attorney or collection company, whoever you utilize, so that from the initial pre-lean letter on, they're not affiliated. You know, there's been a, a coined phrase in the last four years of misinformation. Mm. And I really get the feeling that even they're going to miss the boat on some of this and, and probably not realize that they're giving out some misinformation or some advice to some of the boards about how to get their collections through. And I'm glad to hear that there's at least the the broader scope of people are getting this 908 information. I feel like this is just one more really bad decision that they've stuck us all with out there because they keep getting more and more regulations on top of our HOA world. And pretty soon, I don't I don't know how they're going to manage all of the regulations they're putting in. Uh, It's just crazy. Well, it is crazy. And I think that we already know the answer is that they're not managing it. That's what happened here. They rushed to get it out because that constituents and their posse said, oh, this is so bad. It's no different than the election laws. Have you ever heard of a manager or management company swing an election vote? I've never in my entire career heard it maybe once okay so i've never heard of it actually of that someone actually doing it yet we have this significant body of legislation that managers can't touch the ballots they can't be the inspector of election it's the same kind of thing somebody complained and we have all of this regulatory uh, requirements on a going forward basis and i believe that this is really the same thing you know it's funny i'm reagan when i was thinking about presenting with you today. I was thinking, who does this trickle down to and hurt? And I was thinking, it actually hurts you too. You know, our our associations need their assessments to pay you your invoicing during a project. If they can't send those letters out. So the management company I was just telling you about, they haven't sent out a demand letter since November 15th of 2021. Wow. So, right? Because they weren't in compliance. They weren't set up to do this. 
And so let's say one of those associations were working with you and their cash flow now is really dramatically affected because of this. And I think it's true. I think we are going to really see some very serious trickle down issues here. Well, the, the state in general has been sending out a message of, you know, don't worry about it. If you can't pay, don't worry. And we've seen that effect really horribly already communities like San Francisco. People have been stuck in not being able to get their rents from people and the the laws are just protecting people from having any kind of accountability to this. And it's going to continue to spill over, I think. I think that it will, too. You know, the, the whole HOA world is based on like the three musketeers, one for all and all for one. You buy in, you are agreeing that you're going to pay your share. Absolutely. And so this is different than, you know, and it's I know it's a very political issue, but it's different than somebody needing some sort of reduction on their their rent so that because they lost their job, their partner, oh, yeah. their spouse lost their job. This is different. We can't pay the water bill if people don't pay their assessments, literally, because we don't have, other, as we said a minute ago, we have no other source of income. So this really is an issue for associations. You know, I have seen a couple associations bankrupt, and it's a really awful, awful thing to see happen to them. Even Steve Wild told a story about a, a, an association that bankrupted. And it's this is going to set the stage for some of those smaller, you know, unfortunate ones that don't have that ability to go get their money. It's going right. to really be a problem. So what is the message we want HOAs to get from this that we can help them with? I think the message from from this is that this whole thing is highly technical. I really want them to support their managing agents. They really have to understand that collections and handling this financial component is just part of the management duties. And I I have a client that said, "Oh, this is this is just the manager wanting to offload one more of their responsibilities and it costs us more money." And I was like, "Seriously? I don't think that's it at all." I think that their exposure to liability, it begs the question of all the indemnity that is given to managers. Our industry is very unique that way in this nonprofit world, that our managers are given indemnity because they are acting on behalf of the first party in an agent principal agency relationship. That's why they get indemnity. And then the question is, is this going to be, if they blow this, is this going to be gross negligence, which takes them out of their indemnity. And I think that the managers that really understand this process and what this law means to them are worried about that. And I think they should worry about that. As an attorney, I would say that could, depending on what's going on, that could not with an intentional act, that gross negligence is not an intentional act, but it is something that we need to take away and to say to our HOAs, this is technical. You board members, you know you have these fiduciary duties. You have to ensure that the people or entities that are collecting your assessments are licensed debt collectors under this new law. And they need to know that if they let somebody who's unlicensed, whether it's the management company or a collection company, pursue their collections, they can be held responsible and liable for that action. That was my next question is what happens if their collector doesn't have all the right certifications. So they become liable and yet they also still don't have any money. 
and they still don't have any money. So they didn't get the money because the homeowner didn't pay. The homeowner didn't pay under protest because these violations are going on, technical or otherwise. And then we wind up in this situation where we're, we really have this impaired cash flow. If you look at the exact wording of the, of the statute, it really begs an interpretation that even the association, if it was collecting on its own, would be subject to the act. And we are, I'll tell you, we've gone back and forth in our office and in association lien services as to whether or not that's actually true. But it does say that the Debt Collection Licensing Act requires any party collecting a debt on behalf of themselves or another to obtain a license, the managing agents and associations. And it says that in the summary of the act, as opposed to the specific verbiage of the act. But I think that that's a, that's a fright for self-managed associations. And we worry about that. We worry about that significantly. I just keep seeing, you know, the piece of pie, the, the slivers are getting more and more and more and more and more divided of who they've got to pay and what's regulated. And, you know, they, they keep adding on bills and legislation that requires inspections, that requires license and certified people, which means more expensive. I just don't know how these associations are going to survive in the long run if they don't have a good handle on their reserves. And if you're not allowed to ask for your money, I'm not sure what they're going to do. This is right. This well, is you're allowed to, you just have to follow this very strict requirement. I, I think in this situation, the intention that the the consumer here, which is really the homeowner, was going to benefit from this. I don't think it's going to happen for that one person or five people that you know were treated improperly. This isn't the people who do assessment collection in our industry. They're not other types of debt collectors. They're not calling people for their money. You know, they're not calling at seven fifty-eight when the deadline is eight o'clock under the federal law. You can't call somebody on their home with their cell phone at that time. Who's doing that in the HOA world? It doesn't happen. No, we send no, out communications no. and we follow the statutory requirements. But, you know, I worry about I worry about all of this. I worry about attorneys. So let's say somebody damages association common area. We know that under the statute and most association governing documents, there's a vehicle by which the association can levy a reimbursement assessment against the homeowner. So when if the attorney is involved in that. We're saying, hey, you need to cease and desist and you violated this and you violated that. And the board met in executive session and they levied this reimbursement assessment against you. It's due and owing now. Due and owing now. I'm afraid that that will then make attorneys possibly debt collectors under this new law, even though not under the federal law. So it, it all, it's going to shake out, but that is really, that I think this is going to affect our industry in so many different ways. Boy, I agree with you there. This is a perfect example of why people need to pay attention to CLAC and what's going on in Sacramento, what bills are getting you know, produced, and, and when they're calling for action to call your uh, representatives, people really need to take notice and not just ignore it and assume someone else has got it. Uh, that just breaks my heart a little bit to hear that. I agree with you a hundred percent. Well, the name of the podcast is HOA. It's a true story. So do you have a story to share with us today? I have a story on just practicing law and I have a story on debt collection. 
So years ago, we were acting as experts for somebody else's trial. Uh, They were sued for wrongful foreclosure. And we acted as the expert as to whether or not the association, the assessment collection company had handled things properly. And the jury actually uh, had a split verdict. So the case is thrown out. Nobody is the prevailing party. No one's entitled to attorney's fees. And when the jury was polled after the trial, and they don't have to subject themselves to the polling, but the questions are asked, why did you do that? And why did you do that? And uh, two of the jurors said, and the person's last name were, they're Chinese from China. Their name was akin to our version of Smith. And they said, we believe that the collection company should have sent somebody to China to look for Mr. Smith, that version. And it's like, well, that's not part of the act. That's not what you're supposed to do. And they said, but we think that that's part of it and that you should do that. And why? Because maybe he didn't know, but you heard him testify that he said he got all the mailings. He just didn't open the envelopes, but you should have gone there to personally serve them. What was the issue? They had to use a procedure to serve him publicly, meaning utilizing a newspaper and, you know, you know what it's like, same kind of thing as like a mechanic's lane and you want to make sure to protect the interests. So it was a story where somebody completely disregarded all of the information of the then law, what the requirements were, and just imputed their own position on how that story should have ended. Shocking to me. Absolutely shocking. So far, you've had my jaw drop three times <laughs> during this podcast. So, so. You, you, I, sometimes I think I've seen it all and heard it all after 30 years. But yeah, you do continue to uh, startle me with some of these comments. <laughs> it's a true story. It's a true story. Okay, well, if anybody would like more information about SB 908, it's now currently civil code. One one five one, and and it's got yep, and it's got a it's got a name. It's a Debt Collection Practices Act, and yeah, it's got a name. It's real. It's here, and they just don't know how to really make it operational at this point. Good Lord of mercy. Well, <laughs> if you would like to find out more, you can reach out to Sandra Gottlieb, and they can either reach you at your web address. Yes, they can. Have, what's your website? Law4hoas.com. And it's the number four. Yep. And if you can't reach her that way, you can certainly reach out to us at GB Group at inquiry at gbgroupinc.com. And we will forward your request for information. And I will tell you, we actually do get calls or inquiries through email for our podcast listeners and our speakers. So please feel free to reach out to that email if you'd like more information on this bill from Sandra. Thank you again for joining us today. I really appreciate it. I wish I could say it was so uh, fun and exciting. It was more (laughs) jaw-dropping, but I really did love it. Thank you so much. I appreciate being uh, invited to spend the afternoon with you.